Hello, and welcome to the Emotional Expedition Podcast. I'm Meg Thomas, and if you want to live a more open-hearted, magical life, it all starts with your emotions. This podcast will take you on a journey, helping you to better understand, express, release, and heal your emotions. Let's get exploring. Welcome back. I just got back from breathwork teacher training with John Paul Crimi, and it was so good. It was in Denver, and it was life-changing kind of good. It was transformational for me, and it was also a training, so I got certified to be able to do this work with others. And breathwork is by far the quickest, most powerful way I've ever experienced to release stuck emotions and trauma from the body. We had at least two breathwork sessions every day of the training, and I was amazed at how much I released and moved through my body. And on the last session of the last day, I thought to myself, I have nothing left to let go of, nothing left to heal at this moment. And then came on the song Landslide, which is the song that I connect to my dad to. And here came another round of tears, another round of release. There's always more work to do, more healing to do, more layers of the onion to peel back, and I'm okay with that. And I'll be honest, I don't love doing the breath work itself. I have a lot of resistance to laying down and actually doing it. It's the same with running. I wouldn't say I've ever enjoyed running, but I do love how I feel after it. The resistance to breath work is lessening slightly, but it's still there. I do the breath work for how I feel after. It feels as if my entire body is gently vibrating, my heart completely open, in a place of deep gratitude and love, and my mind is shut off. I have loved my meditation practice over the years, but I rarely ever got to a point where my mind seemed to shut off. That's what breath work does for me. Some classes are gentle and some are more intense. What I've learned is every experience is different for me, but what stays the same is how open my heart is when I'm done. I'm so excited to be bringing this back to the Syracuse community and to my retreats. I'm excited to be offering this online and offering it for the CNY fertility community. My first session that I had in Denver, the message that came through to me loud and clear was that what is meant for me is never going to miss me. And I need to stop worrying about the timing of everything. This has been a huge weight lifted off of me. Since being home and getting closer to my 40th birthday, I'm no longer consumed by timing of my own fertility. I'm at peace with it in a way that I haven't been at all in these last six years. And one thing I never expected to come out of this training was my desire to do this work with couples. For years, I've held retreats, but never a couple's retreat. I've never even had a man at my retreats. And since getting trained in working with couples, couples of all kinds, I can already see how powerful this will be. So I'll be hosting a women's retreat in March and then a couple's retreat in April. You can follow along on my Instagram or website for upcoming virtual or in-person classes and retreats. My Instagram is at emotional underscore expedition, just like this podcast. So today's episode, 
We are in the last two emotions from chapter two from Atlas of the Heart by Brene Brown. And this chapter is places we go when we compare. So today's two words are schadenfreude and freudenfreude, which may be two words, two emotions you've never heard of, but I'm sure you have experienced. So let's dive in. We're going to start with schadenfreude. It is the compound of German words schaden, meaning harm, and freud, meaning joy. The German language is known for accurately capturing nuanced emotions, often with compound words that make the meaning very clear. The definition of schadenfreude simply means pleasure or joy derived from someone else's suffering or misfortune. Brene Brown shared in Atlas of the Heart that there isn't an English equivalent to the word schadenfreude. Ben Cohen from the Wall Street Journal explained it's an old German word whose usage in English dates to the 1850s, spiking in American publications after World War II, but then fading, according to Google data. It returned nearly a half a century later, some linguists say, because of a 1991 episode of The Simpsons. Yes, you heard that right, The Simpsons. The Simpsons were sitting at their dinner table when Homer started saying how happy he was that Flanders' store was deserted, to which Lisa asked him if he knew what schadenfreude was, to which, of course, he did not. And even more recently, it showed up in one of my most favorite shows ever, Ted Lasso. And if you haven't watched Ted Lasso, that's your homework. I'm not sure I've ever seen a show do a better job of capturing the range of human emotions So in this particular episode, Nate, the assistant coach, was rejoicing in the arrogant Jamie Tart's misfortune until coach Ted Lasso declared the office a schadenfreude-free zone. It's a tough emotion. Brene says that taking pleasure in someone else's failings, even if that person is someone we really, really dislike, can violate our values and lead to feelings of guilt and shame. But make no mistake, it's seductive, especially when we're sucked into group think. Here's some examples of times that are short and Freuda. If you find yourself thinking, oh, they got what was coming for them, that's usually a moment to alert you to that feeling. Your annoying coworker falls out of their chair and you get joy out of that. Your know-it-all classmate gets a bad score on a test, and you enjoy that moment. That's schadenfreude. Your loud neighbors have their power cut off, and you're so happy about this. They're going to be quiet, at least for the night. Schadenfreude. A hockey player feels a short sense of delight when the other team's goalie gets injured. So this may be a transitory emotion, which it may move from schadenfreude to sympathy if the goalie is really hurt. But that first moment, that first instant, that's schadenfreude. We see it in sports a lot. Someone cuts you off on the highway only to get pulled over moments later. Schadenfreude. Brene shared this concept of counterfeit connection in regards to schadenfreude. She said, it's easy to build counterfeit connection with collective schadenfreude. 
I say counterfeit because when we see someone who we don't like, we disagree with, or is outside of our group, stumble, fall, or fail, it's tempting to celebrate that suffering together and stir up collective emotion. That kind of bonding might feel good for a moment, but nothing that celebrates the humiliation or pain of another person builds lasting connection. That is worth repeating. Nothing that celebrates the humiliation or pain of another person builds lasting connection. This emotion is so tough to talk about because it can bring up our own feelings of guilt and shame. We don't look good in these moments. So if we're to bring it up and share with a friend, it doesn't paint us in the best picture. And we saw this collective schadenfreude a lot during COVID between vaccinated and the anti-vaccinated. Someone who's vaccinated who got happy when someone who was not vaccinated got sick with COVID, that's schadenfreude. It's not pretty. It's not a pretty emotion. I think we've all had moments of it. And when I catch myself in a moment, I think to myself, okay, I'm not responsible for my first thought but I am responsible for any actions I take and my second thought. So if you find yourself at a Syracuse basketball game and it's super close and then the leading scorer from Duke gets injured and has to be taken out of the game and you get excited, believing that your chances of winning just increased, that's schadenfreude. So that's your first thought. Okay, that's your first emotion. Catch yourself as soon as you can and see if you can shift it to compassion for the injured player. It's tough work, but really it doesn't feel good to celebrate others' failures or in this case, injuries. Atlas of the Heart says that schadenfreude involves counter-empathy. Our emotional reaction is incongruent with another person's emotional experience. When someone else is suffering and we feel joy, there is decreased activity in the area of the brain that processes empathy and increased activity in the reward centers. In other words, when we feel schadenfreude, it shuts down the area of our brain that we use when feeling empathy, and it lights up the areas of the brain that make us feel good and that entice us to engage in similar behaviors in the future. It also has trait-like properties, which means that some people have a tendency to take greater pleasure in others' misfortune than other people do. A few months ago, Ian and I watched Dope Sick. It was not a documentary, but it was based on a true story, but embellished a little for TV production, right? And it was on Hulu with Michael Keaton, Rosario Dawson, which is about the true story of how one company triggered the worst drug epidemic in American history, forever impacting our society. And for us, even people we know and love who now have opioid addictions, I highly, highly recommend watching it, but I'm warning you, it will make you angry because the pharmaceutical company knew what they were doing and knew how addictive these pills were. Which brings me to last night, Last night, Ian was watching a new documentary about opioids called American Pain. 
and which it shows the George brothers, twin brothers who opened up a pain clinic in Florida and flooded the market with opioids through some sort of loophole that Florida had where they weren't tracking who was buying these. People were coming from out of state, bringing them back to other states. I had to stop watching it because I knew I'd be going to bed soon and it was starting to piss me off. So this morning, we went on a hike, and the first thing I asked him was if the George brothers went to jail. This would make me so happy if they were brought to justice. And this is where it gets a little confusing. Is this a moment of schadenfreude? Well, it's not exactly, because accountability is different from schadenfreude. Here's what Brene has to say about it. She said, I think it's important to point out, especially in this political and social climate, that when we feel relieved, grateful, or even happy that someone who has done something hurtful, unethical, or unjust is held accountable. That's not schadenfreude and normally doesn't stem from counter-empathy. On the contrary, it can stem from empathy for the aggrieved. It's similar to the distinction that when we hold someone accountable— and they respond to that accountability by feeling shame, it does not mean that we've shamed them. When we are relieved or happy to see someone held accountable for wrongdoing, we're not automatically celebrating their suffering, but more often we are grateful for the healing that accountability brings to those who've been affected by the wrongdoing. Freud and Freude. This is the opposite of Schadenfreude. Freudenfreude is the enjoyment of another success. It's a subset of empathy, and it is such a powerful connection tool. Brene shared that as her husband, Steve, and her support their kids in learning how to cultivate meaningful connections with people in their lives, they've always told their kids that good friends are not afraid of your light. They never blow out your flame and you don't blow out theirs, even when it's really, really bright and it makes you worry about your own flame. When something good happens to you, these good friends, they celebrate your flame. When something good happens to them, you celebrate their flame. So to illustrate this concept, if you have children, I highly recommend doing this. Have your kids hold out their palms flat and open it. And say, if this is your flame and the wind picks up, good friends will come and cup their hands around your flame to prevent it from going out. And you do the same for them. When I first had the idea of this podcast, it was a tiny flame in the palm of my hand. It was vulnerable to the wind and I knew it. It was just an idea. I didn't know how I was going to do it, any of the logistics. I was also vulnerable to my own belief that I could do it, being that it was something I've never done before. Knowing this, I made the conscious decision to only share my idea, my little flame, with people who I knew were going to protect my flame. People who, when the wind of my own self-doubts came up, would surround my flame with their hands and protect it from going out. And in turn, there was a much longer list of the people I did not tell that I was going to do this podcast out of fear that their doubts would creep into my mind. They were the candle blower outers, and we all have them in our lives. And after coaching many women, when they tell me a dream that lives inside of them, 
I coach them to know the difference between these types of people and knowing when we can invite them into our process. For me, I started telling everyone about my podcast after I had recorded my first episode, even though it hadn't even gone live yet. I'd done the hard part, the scary thing. I'd done it at least once. Abby Wambach, who I am a major super fan of, writes about this idea in her book, Wolfpack. Abby is a two-time Olympic gold medalist soccer player, right? From Rochester, New York, not far from where I live. And she's a FIFA World Cup champion. She was the United States leading scorer in 2007 and 2011 Women's World Cup tournaments and in the 2004 and 2012 Olympics. In Wolfpack, Abby writes about point and run. She explains every single time she scored a goal, the first thing she would do is point to the person who made the assist or the coach who called the play. And the run was about celebrating another person's victory. You're not always going to be the goal scorer. And when you're not, you better be rushing towards her. Erica Wise, an empathy researcher and postdoctoral fellow in psychology at Harvard University, said, The feeling closely resembles positive empathy, the ability to experience someone else's positive emotions. And in paper in World Journal of Psychiatry and Mental Health Research, the psychologist Catherine Shambliss examines the role that Freud and Freud and Freud and Freud play in depression. In a 2012 study, Dr. Shambliss and her colleagues examined Freud and Freud and Freud and Freud scores among college students, some of whom were experiencing mild depression and some who weren't. Freud and Freud scores were higher and Freud and Freud scores were lower among those who were not depressed. The mildly depressed college students, however, had a harder time adopting a joy-sharing mindset. When you're feeling down, it's natural to puncture positive news with negativity, Dr. Chambliss explained. Even when people aren't experiencing mental distress, moments of schadenfreude, like when a movie villain gets their comeuppance or a nemesis faces scrutiny, can be comforting and it serves a purpose. She goes on to write that when others report success to us, they generally hope for an empathic response of shared joy, which is Freudenfreude. If instead they get a negative competitive reaction, they may respond with confusion, disappointment, irritation, or all three. An ongoing lack of Freudenfreude eventually can pose a fatal challenge to a relationship, and in turn, relationship failure often produces depression. We suspected that depressed folks might exhibit deficiencies in Freudenfreude. It's really hard to be in a close relationship with someone who is a candle blower outer. In an intervention designed by researchers to increase Freudenfreude, They coined two new terms to describe behaviors that were very effective. The first is shoy. It's S-H-O-Y. Shoy is intentionally sharing the joy, so sharing the joy, of someone relating a success story by showing interest and asking follow-up questions. Bragitude is intentionally tying words of gratitude toward the listener following a discussion of personal successes. So when someone shares something great that's happened to them, 
We can show interest and ask questions. When someone demonstrates joy, when we share ours, we can express gratitude. Thank you for celebrating this with me. It means so much that you're happy for me. Other ways to cultivate more Freud and Freud. Show an active interest in other people's happiness. Ask questions, make eye contact, and listen intently. View individual success as a communal effort. Share credit for your success with others. No one gets to the top alone, and when we elevate others, we ourselves are elevated. You can start by sharing your win and then tell the other person how they helped. Turn into a joy spectator. Cultivate joy by inviting others to share their victories. You might ask, what was your favorite part of your day? Or ask them to share a recent win or a moment of joy with you. And I'll leave you with a poem that I think really reflects Freud and Freude. It's called On Friendship by Khalil Gibran. And a youth said, speak to us of friendship. And he answered saying, your friend is your needs answered. He is your field which you sow with love and reap with thanksgiving. And he is your board and your fireside for you to come to him with your hunger and you seek him for peace. When your friend speaks his mind, you fear not the nay in your own mind, nor do you withhold the a. And when he is silent and your heart ceases not to listen to his heart, for without words in friendship, all thoughts, all desires, all expectations are born and shared with joy that is unclaimed. When you part from your friend, you grieve not. For that which you love most in him may be clearer in his absence as the mountain to the climber is clearer from the plain. And let there be no purpose in friendship save the deepening of spirit. For love that seeks aught but the disclosure of its own mystery, us not love but a net cast forth, and only the unprofitable is caught. And let your best be for your friend. If he must know the ebb of your tide, let him know its flood also. For what is your friend that you should seek him with hours to kill? Seek him always with hours to live. For it is his to fill your need, but not your emptiness. And in the sweetness of friendship, let there be laughter and sharing of pleasures. For in the dew of little things, the heart finds its morning and is refreshed. That is called On Friendship. There are additional resources in the show notes. And now, go be brave enough. I'm so grateful you're here. Thank you for listening. And if you loved this episode, will you please share it with a friend or two? Be sure to rate, review, and follow the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, so you're sure to never miss a single episode. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.